Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Mental Health and Emotional Intelligence Ask Me Anything series. I'm excited to be here as always, and I just love to be here and serve you guys. And, you know, just like always, I got a couple questions. I usually pick three questions, and that gives me time to open it up for anyone that leaves a question or comment in the comment section. So if you have any questions, you know, please go ahead and um, ask your question, you know, and also just make sure you download the free ebook, Leveraging Self-Awareness at the link provided. And I'm going to jump right in. Um, maybe some of you are seeing this for the first time. You're seeing me for the first time. And I do this every Tuesday at two o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And I just ask, I just answer the questions that are posed to me by people across various social media, including Facebook. I have a Facebook group called You Deserve to Be Happy, as well as here on LinkedIn. Um, other people reach out to me via email. So I just want to be open and available. There is so much information about there out there about emotional intelligence and mental health and lots of different things such as specific mental health disorders, the way these things can impact behavior, as well as emotional intelligence, what it is, how it affects you, how you can use it. There's so much information out there. But what I find is that a lot of people have questions specific to their situations. And so I want to answer your specific questions. I want to answer something that is specific to your life um, so that I can provide you real value. And so, again, what I want you to do is if you have any questions or comments, just put it in the comment section and I will read your question and answer it during this live show. Um, and if not, if you don't want that to happen, of course, you can send me a DM or you can send me an email and, um, you know, we can have that conversation. I can respond to your email or what I can do is... Um, you know, we can have a one-on-one -on -one private conversation if you're looking for more than just a single question being answered. So with that, with that said, I'm going to go ahead and jump right in. Um, I have three questions here. And the first question I find very interesting, the question that was asked was, can you get PTSD from grief? And the short answer is no, in the sense that grief itself does not cause PTSD. However, there are events that you can experience that lead to grief and PTSD. And a lot of times what you find is that there are people who are grieving very intensely and the grieving process may be longer than, than usual, right, for them. When I say usual, that's very subjective, of course, because everyone grieves differently. And everyone's duration of grieving lasts, you know, a different amount of time. So there's not a specific time length that someone should grieve. There's not a specific level of intensity that we would say is right, whereas something else is wrong. However, there are times where people recognize that they're grieving maybe longer than they should. And maybe they find that they're unable to get their life back on track. Um, and sometimes these people wonder... You know, what's wrong with me? What's going on with me? Why can't I get it back together? And then there's other people who there's other people who just think they don't want to get it back together. They they can't move on. They can't overcome the pain. And so that grief can be really devastating. It can really um, be destructive in someone's life. But when the grief is really overwhelming and it's 
and it really takes control of your life, that's not the same as PTSD. You know, so again, the question is, can grief cause PTSD? And the answer is no, but grief can really devastate and, and destroy people's lives. It's happened where you just have such a connection with someone that when you lose them, it, it devastates you, right? You're unable to think, you're unable to eat, unable to sleep. And for some people, that can lead to other outcomes or consequences, such as some people grieve so hard and so long that they act, they may lose their job or they lose their passion for what they're doing. Um, it changes their behavior, rewires their brain in a sense that they feel they have no purpose and that can ruin other relationships in their lives. And so really grief is very powerful, um, but it doesn't cause PTSD. And I say that because PTSD is a specific mental health disorder with specific criteria. So there are actually people who have post-traumatic stress, people who have one or two symptoms, but they don't meet the criteria for an official PTSD diagnosis. And so understand, for someone to be diagnosed with PTSD, they have to have specific um, behaviors. They have to meet specific criteria as outlined in the DSM-5. The DSM-5 is known as a Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, 5th edition. And when you go to a mental health professional, um, what they do is they will provide you certain self-report questionnaires or tests where you answer the questions. And then they'll see if your questions align with the criteria in the DSM-5. Um, now, you don't have to have a PTSD diagnosis to receive treatment. Um, you can get help you know, from anyone, you know, I've had clients that have been suffering from trauma and I've helped them and they didn't have a PTSD diagnosis, but there were things that they were suffering from certain behaviors that they wanted to overcome. And I was able to help them do that. So PTSD is different than grief. Grief does not, grief does not cause PTSD, but grief can um, be devastating. So I, I see um, I see in the comments, looks like Robert Barry has raised his hand. I don't know if you want if you want to just type in a question and um, I'll answer it. I appreciate you being here, Rob. You guys don't know Robert Barry. Check him out. He is he's an amazing guy that has multiple live shows every week. Um, and so definitely go check out his profile. Definitely a good friend of mine, a very professional, very, very good guy. Um so that's that's it for that question. But if anyone has any more questions about grief or PTSD, um, please let me know. I'd love to answer your questions. And again, if you're suffering from overwhelming grief or if you are suffering from post-traumatic stress, regardless if you have any kind of specific diagnosis or not, you know, reach out to me. Send me a DM. Send me an email. You know, I can I can show my email address again. It's info at charlesongains.com. And really what I want to do is I want to help you, right? That's why I'm here um, to support you, to serve you, to provide for you, whatever you need. Um, so the next question that I was asked is specific to emotional intelligence. And I love this. I love this question because empathy is kind of like a buzzword. And I think most of the times that I talk about empathy, I say that because there are certain people who have made that word popular. I think there are people who follow certain 
you know, certain world-renowned famous people such as Simon Sinek, Gary Vee, Brene Brown, they talk about empathy a lot. And so you got people talking about empathy and using the word empathy without realizing or fully understanding what empathy is. And so when you don't fully understand what empathy is, you don't even know what it does or how it helps. And so the question was, how does empathy help? And the way that empathy helps is, well, first of all, I'm going to just say what empathy is or, or the way that I define it. And the way that I define it kind of aligns with what Brene Brown has said about empathy. So empathy really is being able to take someone else's perspective and being able to relate to their emotions about an event. And it's very specific about being able to relate to the emotions of the event, not necessarily the event itself. For example, if you've experienced loss and you understand grief, you've experienced grief, you don't have to experience the exact same thing that someone else did to be empathetic. You understand what grief feels like. And so you can relate to that emotion. And that's what enables you to put yourselves in their shoes to really see things from their perspective. And then when it comes to empathy, when you see someone else's perspective, when you can see it from their perspective, you need to be able to communicate to them that you can relate. You need to be able to communicate to them that you felt this way before, that you understand. And then when you communicate that you understand, you have to be able to do so without judgment. And I'll give you an example of someone being empathetic towards me. I was, um, this was the night that my mother passed away. And you call 911. The cops showed up first. They were there before EMTs. And this, so I was, I was actually in Maryland at the time. I was in Odenton, Maryland. And someone from the Odenton Police Department showed up, two or three cops, and one of the cops walks up to me and, you know, I'm hurting, right? I, at this point in time, it's been maybe 30 minutes or so since I found my mother and that she passed away. And so the pain was very real and it was intense for me. And I was in the moment grieving and he walks up to me, right? He never seen me before. He didn't know me at all, um, but he knew what happened because of the 911 call. And he puts his arm on my shoulder as I'm sitting there. And he says, I understand how you feel. My mother passed away two years ago. So it's not enough just to say, I understand how you feel, because empathy requires authenticity, right? So you can't say, I know how you feel if you don't. You can't say, I understand when you don't understand. So empathy is not about a fake connection. Empathy requires authenticity. You really have to be able to see things from their perspective. You have to really be able to understand their emotions in the moment. And when you can understand their emotions, when you can relate to what they're feeling, that opens the door to being more empathetic. Now, if you cannot fully relate, you can still be empathetic. It's not like a yes or no question where, oh, I've never experienced that, so I can't be empathetic. That's not the case. Because even in those situations, you can still put effort into seeing things from their perspective. And then again, being able to communicate that without judgment. And so there are ways that people attempt to be empathetic where they fail miserably. And I wanted to put that out there because if you're doing this, I would ask that you stop. Um, 
don't start off any sentences with the words um, at least. I've heard that before. I've seen that in different videos and different movies, and I've had friends that have experienced that before. Um, I remember one time I was I was doing a class, and I was talking about empathy. I was teaching emotional intelligence, and one of the attendees of the class said, "I think her father was diagnosed with cancer," and one of her friends said, "At least he's still alive." As you can imagine. That didn't help. That wasn't helpful. That was not empathetic. Maybe the effort was there, but it doesn't matter because that moment, that moment hurt. It was painful. Really, when you when you say that, when you say something like, at least your father is still alive, at least you can still go home to your kids, things like that. What you're doing in the moment is minimizing their pain. You are essentially saying that this is this is not bad this is not so bad you know and no one wants to hear that when you're hurting no one wants to hear oh it's not that bad you'll be okay um don't worry about it you'll get over it you know just give it time it'll heal nobody wants to hear that because when someone is hurting they don't need to know that in time the pain will stop the truth is if you don't understand someone else's pain you're not in a position to say anything about it really but you are in a position to demonstrate that you care about the person. You are in a position to demonstrate that you're there to, to support them, that you care about them, that you'll be there for them. You're able to carry the burden with them if that's what they need from you. And so when we talk about how does empathy help, which is the original question that I was asked, how does empathy help? The way it helps is that people feel supported. Right. I mean, I think we've all said this and or seen this or read this multiple times that people want to be seen and they want to be heard. And a lot of times when you're experiencing something painful, some form of loss or something like that, you feel alone. And in those moments, you know that you have family members, you know, you have friends, you know that you can look on social media, see how many followers you have or how many friends or connections you have. You know that you can see all of that quantitatively. But in this moment, quality is more important than quantity. And empathy is a tool that allows you to let the other person know that you are seen, that you are heard, that I'm going to share in this pain with you any way that I can, that I'm here for you. And so it really it really kind of provides a, a foundation to someone's emotion, if someone feels like they're spiraling out of control, if they feel the pain is unbearable, then the empathy from another person who cares can show them that you don't have to spiral out of control. I'm here. I can catch you. I can help you. I can slow your fall. This pain is not something you have to bear alone. I can help you bear this pain, bear this burden. And so when you think about how empathy helps, you can think about a time that you were hurting and the time that you felt alone. And you can think about what happened to you when someone reached out to support you. You know, and on the flip side, I know there are people who have been in extreme situations and they felt like nobody was there for them. Right? We don't want to learn the value of empathy that way, but I will say that if you were ever alone and you felt like nobody was available to support you, 
then you can also recognize the importance of empathy through that experience as well. So empathy is very helpful. It's critical. And really, I believe empathy is the most critical interpersonal skill we can have. A lot of times when people have problems with their kids, they have parenting problems, problems at their job, problems um, even in their relationships with their significant other. So often the issue is a lack of empathy. When your husband or wife is upset with you and you're unable to see or to understand why they're upset. Or maybe you respond that you're also upset. Maybe you get defensive. And then in, that, in those moments, they feel alone. They feel as though they're not supported. They're not seen. They're not heard. And so really, those moments are opportunities for you to be empathetic. And so take advantage of those moments, right? And empathy doesn't always have to be um, verbal, right? You don't always have to say, I understand, I care about you. There's different ways to show empathy, such as if I've been in a situation where my family struggled with the situation and I didn't know how I was going to feed my family. When I say not knowing how I'm going to feed my family, I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about when you feel broken inside and you just need help. You need someone to step up and do something for you. If you've been through that and you understand that, then you recognize that that is a display of empathy and you can do the same thing for others. When your friends are hurting or when they feel lost or overwhelmed, you can do the DoorDash. You can buy the groceries. You can take the kids out like take their kids, take them to do something fun so that they can have some time alone just to sit with their grief. Maybe in those moments, they don't want to have a conversation. And when you're empathetic and you can relate to their emotion, then you should be able to understand or perceive what they're going through. And understand that if you can't, you can practice, you can develop empathy. It's not one of those tangible items that you either have or you don't. Empathy is something that you can practice, that you can develop. Um, so I suggest you do that. And I assure you that as you develop more empathy, all of your relationships will improve with your kids, your parents, your siblings, coworkers, significant others. Empathy is a critical skill that we all need to enhance our relationships and really just live happier, more connected lives so that we can fight back against loneliness and be happy. So if anyone has any questions, again, you have any questions or any comments about what I'm saying, you know, just feel free to go ahead and, and drop a comment, drop a comment, drop a question, you know, let me serve you, let me help you out, answer your questions. So the last question that I have, if no one else has any questions for me, is what causes trauma or PTSD? This is a very good question, and it's my second question today involving PTSD. And so I have a different take on this than maybe what you'll find in some textbooks. Um, but when, first of all, when we talk about what causes trauma, trauma is an event. It's, a tr it's an event that is traumatic in a sense of there is great fear. And so I've seen definitions of trauma that include things like a, an extreme fear of losing your life or limb or exposure to death or exposure to violence. Um, but really, it's, it's more than that. 
And so when I think about trauma, I don't look at it as something that's external. I think about it as an internal event. And so if something is traumatic, it's really based on how how you respond, how you react. And I'm talking about, really I'm talking about your sympathetic nervous system. How much fear and danger is felt in your body? And so, and, and I'll give you an example where people will watch scary movies, they'll watch horror flicks, and then they'll have nightmares about it. So when that happens, that's that's physiological. There was no threat of death. At no point in time did the person feel as though that they were being threatened. They knew they were watching a movie. And so I would not say that that's trauma. It was not traumatic because they didn't feel that they were in danger. However, the nightmares preceding that due to the movie are the physiological response to the external stimuli. And so what happens is you have a physiological response to the things that happen in your life. So to me, trauma is really the level of fear that you feel from a physiological perspective. And so when someone has a great fear of loss of life or limb or exposure to it, exposure to violence, yes, that's traumatic. It's traumatic. It can cause trauma. But there's other things that can be traumatic as well, where you don't where you don't feel like you're going to die. And maybe you're not exposed to violence, but it could be something such as um, I, I saw a video one time you know, a few years ago. And this person talked about uh, multiple micro traumas. For example, um, you think when you're a kid and you think that you're going to get a whooping or something from your parents and you know that you survive like a whooping from your parents if they spank you. You know that. But at the same time, it scares you. Well, if that happens over and over and over again, you know you're not going to die from a spanking. But what happens is you have a heightened stress response or fear response that is it's continuous. That can have the same impact physiologically on you as a one-time event that really scared the life out of you, right? Um, so when we're talking about trauma, from my perspective, I don't disagree with the definitions of what trauma is. Definitely, it's traumatic if there's a fear that you're going to lose your life or limb. It's definitely traumatic when you fear or when you are exposed to something like that, when you're exposed to violence. Um, it can also be traumatic when you are given news about something, like, it may be traumatic if you are told that you you know you have a cancer diagnosis, um, stage four cancer diagnosis can be traumatic. Um, so then when we're talking about what causes PTSD, because the question was what causes trauma and PTSD. So exposure to trauma causes PTSD, um, but there's more to it than that because you got to understand that a very small percentage of people who experience trauma actually develop PTSD. And throughout the lifespan, I, I believe in the United States, about 6% of the general population will experience PTSD at some point in their lifetime. A great majority of people who experience trauma do not develop PTSD. Um, and there's different reasons for that. 
a big part of whether you develop PTSD or not is social support and feeling safe and secure in your body. So there has to be an end point to the fear. There has to be a point where you know and recognize that you're safe. And when that happens, your body is able to return to a normal state where, where the fear and the terror are gone, where they dissipate. You know, an example of that is after 9-11, and I've used this example before, but after after the um, Al-Qaeda bombings on the Twin Towers, the city was prepared for an extreme uptick in cases of PTSD, but that didn't happen. Um, what happened was the threat that these people felt to their lives was, you know, was extremely traumatic, of course. But that threat was specific to a location, to a time, to an event. And so those people were able to leave that area, leave that event, and go home. And when they arrived at their homes, they were safe and secure. They felt that they've gotten away from the threat. So the cases of PTSD did not dramatically increase. However, there were literally, you know, probably 100,000 people or so who experienced extreme trauma. You know, at the same time, there's the exposure to trauma. So there are people who saw the, they saw the terrorist attack and they develop PTSD or they experience post-traumatic stress and they were never in danger. They saw it on their TV from some distance away, multiple states away, thousands of miles away, but they were still traumatized. And so when you're traumatized, what really keeps you from developing PTSD after trauma is a point where you feel safe and secure, where the threat has subsided. You're no longer scared. You feel safe and you feel secure. So then you're able to return physiologically back to a normal state of being, right? I'm talking about normal um, levels of cortisol and adrenaline, normal heart rate, normal breathing. You know, an example of that was there was this one kid, a child who's five years old, and Dr. Bessel van der Kolk talks about this in his book. This is his story from his book, um, The Body Keeps the Score, where I, I think it was a couple of days after this five-year-old was asked to talk about what happened. And he was asked, you know, can you draw a picture about what happened? And the reason he was being asked this was because his elementary school was in view of the towers. So from his classroom, he could see the planes hitting the towers. So then he drew the picture. What happened was when he got home, um, he heard about and saw some of the images of people jumping to their death. He drew a picture, and in the picture was the side of a building, a body falling, and a black circle on the ground. And so he was asked, what is this circle? And this child said, it's a trampoline, so that the people who jumped could bounce and they could survive. I don't know if those are exact words, but I know that it was a trampoline. And so it was fascinating to people that his creativity, his thought process was around saving other people. And the truth is, although he experienced that trauma, and I'm sure it impacted him long term, but he got to a point where he felt safe and secure. He got to a point where the where the trauma was 
not able to reach him. And so for so many people, that safety and security is in their own homes. And so that's just an example where trauma can lead to PTSD, but it usually does not. It depends on your ability to get to a point where the threat is over, is over can no longer reach you, and you feel safe and secure. And one of the primary ways that this happens is through social support. This is social support is huge because it's your connection to other people and they make you feel safe and secure because they're there for you. Social support is really the biggest external factor in deciding if you're going to develop PTSD or post-traumatic growth. So if you know someone who's experienced some sort of trauma, be there for them, support them, be empathetic in the way that we spoke about earlier, and you can help prevent people from developing PTSD you can enhance your relationships. And honestly, you can then live a happier life and, and help others do the same. So those are the questions that I had today. There are three questions. Thank you to everyone who showed up, reacted, left a comment. Um, and if you didn't watch this live, just watch the replay. If you're watching it on YouTube, you can ask your questions in the comments and I will respond. I'll get back to you. So thank you again, everybody. I appreciate you. Whether, whether you watch live or you're watching the replay, take care of yourself and remember that you deserve to be happy. I'll see you next time. Thank you.